Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. We're in the middle of our Christmas series that we called It Happened. It Happened. Dealing with life's worst moments. It, it happened, right? And he, here's why. Oftentimes when it comes to worse, worse but bad moments, things that happened in our life, because we're human, because we deal with pride, because we deal with shame, because we, we don't want people to know how weak we are or we don't want somebody to think we did something wrong, oftentimes when something bad happens, we hold it and what we hold, we hide, right? And when we hide it, God can't heal it. That's what happens. When you hide something in your life, God doesn't have the ability to, to heal it. In fact, it says this in Scripture in Proverbs 28. And, and this is a, the, 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 word, the word Proverbs means wisdom, right? So this is a book of wisdom. Here's what it says. It says, whoever conceals their sins can't prosper. Maybe, maybe it's not a sin you committed. Maybe it's something that was committed against you. But if you conceal it, you can't prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces and lets it out, they find mercy. You, you, you find healing when you let God get into the situation. I told you last week, I said, oftentimes we'll refuse God access in these moments because they're painful. And where you refuse God access, you reject his ability to bring resurrection power, to make something better, to bring life to something that, that feels like it was death. The Bible says this, I love this line. It says, the ability to bring beauty from ashes. Moments in your life that feel, felt completely ruined. Like if something is ashes, that means it's never coming back. But the Lord is able to bring beauty from something that feels like it could never, ever, ever come back. And so you have to give them access. And I know, I know for me, I struggle with that. Uh, years ago, uh, I, when I used to play basketball when I was younger, I loved Michael Jordan. Any Michael Jordan fans here? Right? I want to be like Mike. I drank Gatorade. I didn't even like Gatorade, but I drank Gatorade. And I love Michael Jordan, right? And uh, I remember one of the things Michael Jordan did is stuck his tongue out when he played basketball. You guys remember that? So naturally, if you're trying to mimic him, uh, that's one of the areas that I mimicked him in. And so I stuck my tongue out. And because of that, two times in my life while I was playing basketball, I've almost bit my tongue off. And so I'm not sure how he's never done it, but literally, uh, I've almost bit my tongue off. I told you about one of the stories. I don't know if I ever told you about the first time I did it. I did it in college one time. The first time I ever did it, I was 13 years old. Uh, we live in Pennsylvania, so it got cold in the winter, obviously, and th there would be months where you were no longer able to play on an outside hoop, and so my parents brought, bought me an inside hoop that was about six foot tall, and uh, we played basketball in our basement. I was probably 13 years old, and it wasn't one of those little tight ones, don't, don't judge me, it was like a metal one, right? And so we had this hoop, and my friends came over. I remember like it was yesterday, we were playing two-on-two -two in the basement. Uh, it was me and my friend Nate versus my friend TJ and my other friend Nate, playing two-on-two. Uh, and my, my friend TJ is 15 years old at this point. And so he's we're about the same height. He's a little bit more athletic than me. And uh, we're play, I'm playing defense on him. I'm in front of the hoop, a six-foot hoop. He comes flying in. He also thinks he's Michael Jordan. He comes flying in, jumps over me, completely dunks on me, posterizes me, right? Before the jumps on, posterizes me, dunks on the six-foot hoop. And when he's coming down and yelling, his elbow comes down like this on top of my head. My tongue is out right through my tongue. It was bad. I asked him if it was bad. He just looked at me. So we went and got my parents. I, I feel like something's wrong with my tongue. Like I, 
I can feel it. Like if I drink, it's going right through my, my tongue. I can put my finger through my tongue. My tongue is pierced, but this isn't like a cool, like grungy, like I want the clairs, I got my tongue pierced kind of thing. This is not wanted bit through my tongue. I have a hole in my tongue. I'm never going to be the same again kind of situation. So my parents put me in the car. I got my tongue in my mouth. It's bleeding everywhere. I got, you know, ice on it. It's pre-Google. We, didn't, we don't know what to do. We go to the emergency room. They take me into this, this, uh, this place. I wait for a little bit. They pull me in. And just to make a long story short, this guy walks in. He's a doctor. Uh, I didn't trust him. He, 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 he spoke broken English, but that wasn't the problem. Like, cause I couldn't understand him, what he was saying, but he smiled the whole time. How many of you know, if you're a teenager, 13 years old, and you have just bit your tongue off, it is not a smiling thing. And he's smiling at me as he's doing it. He goes out, he comes back, he brings the, the syringe with the needle in it. I'm going to have to get a shot in my tongue. And he's smiling. And I'm like, no. He's like, open your mouth. I'm like, No. You're smart. This isn't funny. You're laughing. My mom's laughing. You're laughing because she, it, you're not putting that in my tongue. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to walk. I'm just, just going to leave it. I'll just have a hole in my tongue. This will be a great story for my grandkids. Good party trick, whatever. Who needs a tongue? You know what I had to do in that moment? I take a deep breath. Look at the guy that's laughing with the needle in his hand. I stick my tongue out. Ah. Let them put the shots in. Let them stitch it up. Yes, you can get stitches in your tongue. Stitch it up in laughter. He's laughing the whole time as he's doing it. And leave. And I remember in that moment thinking, like, I had a choice. What's the choice? Either you keep it in and you don't heal and you deal with it and it'll heal itself. Or you give this guy access. And I'm just, I'm just telling you. If I would have refused access, my tongue would have been more gnarly than it is right. I mean, it's gnarly right now. I could show you. I have a huge scar. But I probably wouldn't have had a tongue. I had to give them access into that moment of my life. And I'm just telling you, if you want to heal in these moments, you got to give God access. And so this week, I want to talk to you about finding healing from situations that you've had to endure with people. I called my message, Awful People. Now, that's not how God feels about anybody. Because everybody is redeemable by, by God, right? But for us, there's people in our lives that they're not our kids. We didn't create them. They just hurt us. And what do we say about them? They were awful people in our story. And I'm not sure where you've been or what you've been through. And maybe you've lived a perfect life and, you know, you've had everything good and your family was perfect and your dad was around and your mom was around and, and, and you've never been abused or you haven't gone through anything like that and this message maybe won't relate to you. And so I want to talk to the other 99.9% of the people here. The people who have been through some stuff. I'll give you an example. I heard of a story about a, a young girl named Shauna and Shauna uh, was molested um, by her uncle and uh, she struggled. She, she was mad. She struggled with feelings of insecurity. She struggled with feeling like a victim. She struggled in her relationships as she got older because she didn't trust. She struggled in her identity. She, she, she just struggled. She got to such a point of struggle that she decided, I need to go to see a counselor. She ended up going to see a Christian counselor by the grace of God. And she began to bear her soul to this counselor. Talk about her life. Relive this tragedy that happened from a loved one, which typically the awful people in our lives are people that we wanted to be close to us that have let us down. I'm not talking about the bully from fourth grade that said you look like, you know, whatever. I'm talking about the family member who was supposed to be there and wasn't. 
the dad who abandoned you, the, the person. So it's this kind of situation. And so she goes and she's been through all sorts of things. And as you can imagine, she's struggling even with addiction because she's trying to numb this pain that she doesn't have an answer for. And she starts to bear her soul to this counselor. And I don't, I'm not a counselor, but I think there's moments when you're a counselor that you're, you're, you're at a loss for words. I think this is one of those situations. What do you say to somebody who's gone through such a dark past and is dealing with so much, so much baggage? What do you what do you say to them? Like, how do you speak to them? So this was a Christian counselor. And so he kept hearing her say things like, uh, this person ruined my life. This person took my innocence from me. This person is the reason that my relationships are not working out. And she would always land on this person is the reason. This person was awful. And so he went home to his house and he prayed through this situation with this, with this girl. And he God, what can I say to this, this woman who has been through so much? How can I speak some encouragement to her? So the next council and session started the exact same way the previous one had, the previous one before that, talking about all these bad things and statements were coming out. He, he ruined my life. He took my innocence. He's impacted me. He's done all this. And he said, Sean, I need to stop you. He said, I know what you've gone through has been, is awful. And I'm not trying to tell you... Uh, that it wasn't. I'm not trying to belittle it, and I'm not trying to tell you to stop, stop talking about it, but I need you to understand these statements that you're saying, the, he ruined my life. I'll never get it back. He's changed me. He's impacted me that if you keep saying those things, God is never going to be able to heal you. He's never going to be able to take you from an awful situation and somehow bring you into glory and to purpose and into peace. And I guess the point of this message is not to try to explain to you why. I think that's an awful message. Why do, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Why did I go through this? There's questions that will only be answered on the other side of eternity. The question is, why does God even let these people in our lives in the first place? You know in the Christmas story, uh, we think about Christmas, if you've grown up in church maybe or you know the Christmas story, you know it's filled with, with characters, right? And you know most of the characters are, are good characters, right? Like if you've ever been to a Christmas play, anybody ever been to a Christmas play? You know they're going to roll out animals at a, at a real Christmas play. Like if you go to a big church, they'll bring camels out, right? You ever been to one of those? Like I, I'm, one of, I'm like a guy, so I'm like, this is going to be so cool. There are a couple on the stage, and one of them is going to take a dump. This is going to be awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just me? Okay. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I'm glad it's not my stage, right? And so, so you got the animals. You know, they're going to roll up Mary and Joseph and a baby that doesn't cry. And they're going to bring shepherds. And they're going to be there. And the shepherds are good. And the wise men come down. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like most of the characters are good. And we, when we do the Christmas story, those are the characters. Like the wise men, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, the baby, the animals, you know, the manger. Like, you, you know, you, like if you go to your grandma's house or, you know, so your family has been religious, they have a manger. You guys know what a manger is? Last service, two people knew what a manger is. So I just did an altar call right there. We just prayed. <laughs> we can teach them later, right? We know what a manger Like, you know what I'm talking about. Little precious times, precious moments, ones. You know what I'm talking about? You broke the head off, the, off, the, off one of the wise men. You tried to put it back together, blame your brother, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that kind of thing. And so when you see this picture of Christmas, you're like, oh, it's 
it's beautiful and it's perfect and it's, and it's good. And, and then you look at Christmas, you're like, that's how Christmas is supposed to be. It's a time of peace and it's perfect and it's good and there's nothing wrong. And then we go to Hallmark and we watch perfect movies and then we take our kids to all these light places and we pay $55 for them to go see lights. They spend five minutes there. That's just me. Try to take boys, if this, oh, we're going to go to the gardens and we're going to see the lights and we go through it. They're like five minutes in, like, we go home and play Fortnite? And I'm like, no, we're, we're going to get pictures because we're going to remember how awesome this was, right? You had fun? Look at the pictures. You don't remember this, right? And this is Christmas. But the cool thing about Christmas is that's not the end of the story because for us, it isolates us a lot. Like, Christmas is perfect and Christmas only has good characters and church people only have good, good things and only good memories. And I, I just felt the Spirit of God telling me to tell you something really simple. Listen, if you're here today, it's okay if you're not okay. It's, it's okay if you're not okay. It's okay if you've been through some stuff. In fact, if you've been through some stuff, this is the right place for you to be. It's okay. And you're going to see this in the Christmas story. It's okay when stuff's not perfect. It's okay where you've been through some stuff. So here's the cool thing about it. Uh, in the Christmas story, the, one of the characters we don't often talk about is a man named Herod. Herod is a very side note piece of the story, yet he is, is relatable to most of our lives because Herod is one of those awful people. See, Jesus comes at a time that's predestined, that God knew the perfect time to this earth, that God had it all planned out. And what's interesting is he sends them into a time when probably one of the most wicked, evil kings that has ever lived was in control, a man named Herod. Herod was an awful person. In fact, one time Herod uh, got mad at the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, they were the religious leaders. And the Bible, uh, history tells us he killed half of them at once. He was mad at them. Another time, his wife made him mad, the queen made him mad, so he strangled her to death. Then he found her mom and killed her, and then the three boys that he had with that lady, he killed all them at the same time. His, his MO was, you make me mad, I kill you. When he was on his deathbed, he was going to die, he brought the people in, he knew he was on his last, his last leg. He brought all of the notable men from the surrounding cities and country in to a palace, right? And he commanded the leaders in the, of, of his, of his po po political party. He said, when I die, I want you to kill all these other notable men as well. Because if, if we're going to mourn, we're all going to mourn. He, he's a bad dude. Of all of the times that God would see fit to send Jesus to this earth, he sends them when this guy's in control. I love it, the... the the wise men show up. They show up two years late. See, this is one of those situations in church. You, you, get, you, get, you don't get the whole story. Like, the wise men are at the manger. You guys ever see a manger? The wise men are at the manger? That's fake news. That's a lie. We've lied to you in church. The wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus. They were there about two years later. And we, we know this from the Bible, but it looks better in the play because you need more characters than just the, the shepherd <laughs> and Mary and Joseph. And the camels are too expensive, so you invite the wise men, right? But the Bible says in Matthew chapter, chapter 2 that the wise men come to Herod. They ask Herod. Uh, they tell Herod, hey, we've been following this star. This star under, uh, you know, in our prophecy means that the, the birth of the Messiah is here. He's here somewhere. We're, we're here to find him. We have gifts we want to give him. Herod tells him, go find him and tell, him where, 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 tell me where he's at. Come back and tell me where he's at. Uh, and the Bible says in parentheses because Herod wants to go kill him because that's what Herod does. Why would he be okay with the new king being born when he's the king? So the Bible says the wise men finally find Jesus two years later. He's a little toddler. He's running around. He's ripping his diaper off, all that stuff. They find Jesus, and they present him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Then the Bible says that they go in the opposite direction. And this is where I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 13. It says, when they had gone, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod is coming for Jesus. Herod wants to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. I love verse 16, though, because we don't read this in the Christmas story. But the Bible says Herod realizes that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the wise men. He was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the wise men. That's not in the place. In the midst of silent night and peace on earth and goodwill to all men and cookies and hot cocoa and all these other things. Oh, by the way, there's a ruthless, angry king that can't find Jesus. So in response, kills everybody's baby boys under the age of two. Christmas, am I right? The question is why? Why does God allow there to be Herod in this story? And the answer is simple. Because in order for us to relate to Jesus, to see Jesus as our Savior, somebody we can trust and follow, we also have to see Jesus go through situations where he faces people like Herod because all of us have to deal with Herods in our life. All of us have to deal with people that have done things to us that we would rather not go through. Things that have been given to us that if we allow them can define us, deter us, and destroy us. I want to give you a few encouraging thoughts when you're facing something like this because chances are you are. Chances are you've been hurt. Chances are you've had questions. Chances are people have, have, have done bad things to you. Chances are somebody's abandoned you. Chances are somebody in this room has been abused. Chances are there's multiple people. It's not just somebody. Like when I was a youth pastor and I used to study the, the lives of teenagers and realize the numbers, it was, it, was, it, was, it was dawning and it was humbling to know that I had an opportunity to speak to kids that were going through so much. And those little kids, those teenagers become adults. Most of them are about your age now. So let's not pretend we all come in here and we haven't faced any hairs. And I just want to give you a few thoughts as you're going through these situations. The first one is this, is listen, it was bad. What you went through was bad. What you faced was bad. But listen, it doesn't have to be big. It was bad, but it doesn't have to, 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 to be big. How many of you in this room ever heard of Herod? About as many as heard of the manger or you're refusing to participate, which makes you awful, right? <laughs> a lot of us haven't heard of Herod. A lot of us didn't know he went and killed every baby boy under the age of two. Not because you don't know your Bible, but because it's one of those side notes. But here's the thing. He was a big deal back then. He was the most powerful man in Jerusalem. He was the king. He did what he wanted. He killed who he wanted. He was a big part of the story. And man, he did something that's disgusting. And yet 2,000 years later, and some odd years later, we barely even talk about him. He's just a side piece in, in the story. And the, the principle of that is, is he was bad, but he's not big. There's somebody in your life that has done you dirty, that has hurt you in a ruthless way, that has said something bad about you, and you have continued to make them big in your, in your life. And I need you to understand something. Don't make your Herod your hero in your life. 
Don't make them the person you look to, you worship, you talk about, you think about, you look to, you worship, you talk about, you think about, you get counseling for. Listen, it was bad. I'm not telling you it wasn't, but it wasn't big. It doesn't have to be life-altering. It doesn't have to be history-shaking. It doesn't have to impact your relationships and your marriage and your kids' lives. You know how I know that? Because I've seen it in my own life. I've walked with it with my wife. So you talk about somebody being abused. My wife went through that. We haven't had perfect lives. It hasn't always been, been peachy. And when I met her, we started talking about life and talking about history and talking about what we went through because those are good conversations to have. She shared with me what she had been through when she was a little girl. She talked about her neighbor. She talked about what, where he took her. Like he talk, she talked about this in detail. And I got to tell you, as, as her future husband, I was like, is he alive? I'll go kill him. He's already dead. I'll go kill him again. And listen, when she talked about it, it wasn't that it wasn't bad. It wasn't like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. I don't know as a pastor, but more specifically as her husband, if that conversation would have went well. No, it's not bad. It's fine. It's been 15 years. We're moving on. No, it was bad. It was hurtful. It was Satan's way of trying to destroy her, trying to steal from her trying to confuse her, trying to ruin her future relationship, trying to take away her ability to be the right type of mother, trying to take everything away from her that God had in store for her. And I need you to understand, at some point in her life, she came to the understanding that what this guy did, that it was bad, but it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be big. I just need you to grab a hold of that today. Some of you in this place, you are convinced that what happened to you it's going to change and changes everything, that it impacts everything, that it keeps you locked up. What an awful sermon that would be, by the way. Do you imagine if you said, yeah, this happened to me and I'm an addict, and, and I said to you, yeah, you, that's, that's the end of everybody's life like that. You're never going to change. Yeah, this, ha- this happened to me in my childhood. Yeah, you're, you're, you're never going to be healthy. You're, you're never going to be, I mean, think, think about, that sermon would suck, Right? Like it's, it's always, you're always going to be depressed. You know why? Because when you go through this, everybody's depressed. Think, think about it, that message. What, what's the message? It was bad. It hurt. It, it, was, it was wrong. But it is not life-altering. It, it, it is not big. It doesn't have to continue to grow in my life. Can I, can I tell you something real fast that I've learned in my life? Where, where you focus, what you focus on always grows. So if you're focusing on that person and what they've done and the pain and the sorrow and what they stole, guess what happens? They get bigger and bigger and bigger in your story. You know this is true because if you ever looked at yourself in the mirror, all right, all of us have, you ever looked at yourself and looked at something you didn't like and you just kept focusing on it and focusing on it and focusing on it, did you ever notice that it gets worse? I'm right, right? Like if you're a girl and you get wrinkles and maybe you don't have any wrinkles, but as you get older, you get wrinkles. You start looking at your wrinkles. You go, look, I got wrinkles. And you keep looking. Doesn't the wrinkle just keep getting worse? Like when I was, when I was, when I was younger, I didn't know I had a big nose. I just didn't, I didn't know, right? And I went to college. And uh, I was 20, 20, uh, 20 years old, maybe 18, 19 years old, something like that. It was my second year of college. And I met this guy named Paul Franks. And uh, he said, why is your nose so big? <laughs> and I said, what? He said, you have a big nose. Like that, just like, uh, and then he was like, and you talk out of it, right? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean I talk out of it, right? You, you know, that's how, what do you mean, right? That's how we talk. And I'm like, I do talk out of my nose. I don't know how to stop, right? It's taking everything. And, uh, 
And then I started looking at it, and I, and I, and I remember in, in high school before this, I, I ran in when I was playing soccer. I ran head first into somebody's, somebody's head. They were trying to head the ball. They headed my nose, and they made my nose semi-crooked. Like, they broke it, and I never really got it fixed. Uh, and so it's, it's big, and it kind of, if I talk a certain way, it kind of goes whoop, right? <laughs> and, I, and I started to see it, right? And the more that I looked, guess what? The worse that it got. Now I'm 41. I'm like, who cares, Right? So there's lots of people with messed up noses. Owen Wilson, right? Steve, like, it's fine, right? But like when you look at it, and I'm just telling you, some of you in your life, you're focusing, you're focusing on all the bad and, and, and what's happening. It just keeps growing in your life. That's why the Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You fix your eyes on his grace, his forgiveness, his power, and he grows, right? And the Bible says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. That's not the Bible, that's a song, by the way. Don't look. We'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and strength. That's the words, right? It's an old, old hymn, though. I'm not old, so I don't know, right? And so, <laughs> right? And so, anyway, let's go. Let's keep going before I offend somebody. Number two, it hurt, but it doesn't have to work. Number one, it was bad, but it's not big. Number two, I, these are things I think you should write down and remind yourself. It hurt, but it doesn't have to work. And he, here, here's what I mean by that. Uh, it, you know it's working if you struggle in your life with things like bitterness, and anger, and rage, and victim mentality. You know, you know Satan is somewhere going, I, not only am I glad that this happened to them, but more importantly, I'm glad that they're, they're holding onto this and it's working in their life. I'm glad that it's taking shape. I, I'm glad that it's affecting them. I, I, I'm glad that it's moving in their life. And I just need to tell you, listen, yes, it, was, it hurt you. Yes, it was deep. Yes, it was it's painful. But it doesn't have to work in, in, in your life, right? All of your anger and your rage doesn't ever change the fact that it happened. Did you realize that? It happened in your life, and you don't have the authority to decide oftentimes what happens, but God does give you the ability to decide how you're going to respond. And I want to, listen, I want to raise a church of exceptions to the rules. You know what I'm talking about? Like you meet people and you're like, you're like, well, that's just the way it turns out. That's, that's how it happens. That, that's how it works. That's the steps they take. That's the marriages that they're going to have. That's what happens when you go through that and you go, no, no, no. We're the exception to the rule. Why? Because we've met the exceptional one. His name's Jesus Christ. And he heals and he changes and he transforms and he shifts our minds and he heals our hearts and he breaks addiction in my life. And I know that it hurt, but just because it hurt doesn't mean it has to work. Listen, stop mourning what they took from you and start celebrating where they failed. Where did they fail? They hurt me, but they didn't stop Jesus. Herod did everything in his power to kill Jesus. And guess what happens? He's successful at killing his wife, his mother-in-law, his kids, those other kids. He's accept, he, he's, he, he exceeds at getting the, the religious people. You know what he can't get? He can't get Jesus. Jesus is always one step ahead of him. And maybe if you would step back and realize that's how good Jesus is in your life. Jesus is always one step ahead of your hurt if you would trust him with it. Just because it hurt doesn't mean it has to work. And let me just give you one more, one more thought uh, real, real quickly. Number three, it happened doesn't mean you have to hold it. it 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 happened i know you hate it i know you hate it i know you hate that it happened but we tend to take what we hate and we tend to hold it and we tend to think about it and talk about it 
And, and, and I, I might say this, and it might, it might, we tend to idolize it. You worship it. What's worship? You think about it. It gets top priority in your mind. You, you're constantly speaking about it. You're sharing with other people. And the truth is, you're holding it, but the reality is, it's holding you. And just because you went through it and you faced it and it happened doesn't mean you have to hold it. I started thinking about how I could explain this to the, to, to the church. And uh, we've been having, my, my kids, we, they've been hanging out all the time. You, you don't know if you have teenagers, but they, they hit 12 years old and literally have a social life. Did you, did you realize that? Where they just, like you just spend your, your weekends taking them to hang out, right? And uh, it's a really rich time. Like I, I, I'm tired a lot because you're, you're carpooling, you're picking up and you're going everywhere. But it's also a really rich time to watch your babies become their own people, right? Which is scary too because you know them. And so, <laughs> but it's been really cool. And so we, we stepped in, you know, before you had sleepovers occasionally or whatever parties and when you had it it was like okay we're gonna do this for like one time a year and then we're never doing it again because you you know having three or four or five boys at your house you know what it's like and so but then they get to this age where like they're just they'll just kind of be off to themselves you know they'll go play basketball go up to the room and they're just kind of hanging out and you're just you're just there and so uh they've been having sleepovers a lot and their, their friends will come over and you know try to make conversation you ever try to make conversation with 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 an adolescent it's painful right I remember my dad used to tell me, he was like, when you were 13 years old, I would ask you how your day was, and you would always say, why well, ask me so many questions? Why <laughs> ask me so many questions? And that's, that's how it is now. It's like, what are you getting in my business, right? And like all this stuff. So their friends come over, and I try to, I want to, you know, we don't have a relationship with who they, their, their, their friends are, and so make small talk. Easy questions. Hey, man, Christmas is coming. Yeah, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Simple stuff like that. And so we started talking about favorite Christmas movies the last couple times, and you know somebody said Elf, and somebody somebody said Santa and Santa Claus. Which one, the Tool Man? Yeah, and you know which one do you like? Well, this one, and and then somebody said the Christmas Story. You guys know what I'm talking about Christmas Story, which I, I, I it's one of my favorite. Like it's it's a good movie. I, I kind of get sick of it on Christmas because it plays 25 times, right? But whatever. But I, but I like it when it comes on. I watch it, and I love the Christmas Story. Uh, I love the dad on the Christmas Story because he's like a great mixture of like like a 1950s dad, right? And like, but he also, he has tender hearted. You know what I'm talking about? And so like, he'll, he'll lose his mind on the, on, on, the, on the dogs that got his turkey and then he'll go out and he'll have a laugh when the dude chops the duck's neck off. Remember that part? And so, and like, he's, he's like a cool dad. And so uh, the part I like the most about it is when uh, they're opening presents and he bought his son that, that BB gun, but his son doesn't know about it. See, that's what I mean. It's like cool dad, but he's still, he's still real dad, right? And so, uh, but the one part, Ralphie opens up that present from his aunt, and it's that pink bunny costume. You remember what I'm talking about? And he pulls it up, and he looks at it. He still hasn't got the red rider. He pulls it up, and his mom says, put it on. Now, for the most part, the mom's, like, to me, represents the kindness of God through the movie. Like, she, she doesn't tell her, her dad when he curses and all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and she's, she's real graceful. But in this situation, she acts like Satan. She says, put it on which is what happens in our life. Hey, put on that costume of abuse. Put, where? Do I have to? Yeah, I gotta put it on. Put, put on. put on that abuse costume. Fits you well, put it on. Put on that costume of failure, wear it. So Ralphie puts this costume on and he kind of stands there and he's in shame. His brother's laughing at him and his mom's going, oh, he looks so cute, right? 
acting like Satan. And the dad says this. He says, you want to take that costume off? He says, yeah. He says, go take it off then. Right? Go take it off. He runs upstairs and he takes it off. And in that, in that moment, I was like, that's like God. You, you, you've been given this and you forced, you've been forceful, you think, put it on. You wear this. You, you wear that identity. You, you wear that shame. You, 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 you wear whatever happened to you. You wear it. Everywhere you go, you wear it. It's embarrassing. You have to wear it. And God steps in through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and he says, no, you're, you can be different. You can take that off. You can put on a garment of praise with a spirit of happiness. You can, you can remove that. And I, I'm just telling you, there, there's people in this place that you, you're, you're walking around just like Ralphie, man. Maybe may shallow for some of you. How are you going to talk about Ralphie and God? Because I just see it. You see people just walk around in costumes that were designed for them but not for their good. And I love that the Spirit of God can say, hey, take it off. You don't have to hold that anymore. You can, you can let it go. It's like two, two monks. Years ago, I read this story about these two guys, these monks. They were walking down a, down, a, down, a, down a stream, and there was an older lady standing on the side of the river, and she needed to get across the river, and they were men of God. And so they picked her up, and they carried her across the river. They got all wet. Um, she was a little heavier, so they, they, it, was, it, was a, it was a whole thing. And so they walked across, dropped her off, walked back through. They're all wet, and they start walking. And they're a few, few minutes down the stream, and one of the monks starts to complain. I'm all wet. My back hurts from that lady, and all, my back hurts, and I'm all wet, and my, my sandals are squishy now, and like he's complaining, and the other monk just stays quiet, and so nothing happened, just keeps going, complaining some more, complaining some more. Three or four miles down, he's still, my back is hurting so, we got to stop, my back is hurting so bad. So finally, the other monk looked at him and said, listen, man, me and you carried the same lady across the river. The difference is, about four miles back, I put her down, and you're still carrying her. Let her go. It happened. It hurt. You're wet. But you don't have to keep being hurt, and you don't have to keep being wet. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Let it go. And I just, I just, I just, I just want you to hear those words. Take off the costume. Put on your full identity in Christ. In fact, I saw the gospel in this story, so you, you'll see the gospel all through Scripture. But I saw the gospel very specifically in the story of the wise men and, 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 and Herod. Because Herod says what? He says, when you find Jesus, come back and tell me so I can go kill him, basically. And the Bible says that the wise men, that they find Jesus, and then instead of going back to Herod, what do they do? They go in the opposite direction, which when I was reading that, the Spirit of the Lord said, that's the gospel. The tendency is to keep coming back. I can promise you, if you've gone through something right now, if you carried it around for long enough, it's almost become a pet to you. It's become your identity, and Satan is telling you, don't, that's, this is garbage. Just keep carrying it. Keep holding it. Keep coming back to me. What do the wise men do? They don't go back. They go away in the opposite direction, which is the gospel. I'm going to leave who I was, and I'm going to walk into who God has called me to be. Amen? Let's stand to our feet all over this house, and let's just bow our heads and close our eyes just for a second and I guess uh, as we close I guess I'm just wondering if that's you if that's you if you if you are the type of person who has been through some awful things in your life outside of your decision and you have carried them and you hold them, and they define you, and you hide them. 
because you're afraid if you let them out that you're gonna have to deal with the embarrassment and the shame and the pain all over again. And you've convinced yourself that you're fine, I'm fine. But honestly, your insecurity, your lack of value, your lack of trust, your relational tension, your belief in the goodness of God and the future of God, they are all impacted by your inability and your refusal to let God in and to let go. Something powerful happens when you step outside of yourself and out of the way and you say, God, this is bigger than me. And you stop saying things like, they took that from me, they hurt me, they never left me the same, I can't believe that happened, and you start saying, it hurt. It was bad, but it's not big. Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And when you do that, listen, chains are broken. Past are healed. Futures are filled with promise and purpose. Which some of you in this place, you have absolutely no hope because of all of the things that you struggle with in your past. But God is a healer. Don't you think it's interesting that God allowed Herod to be in the story? Don't you think it was to show you that Herod can't stop Jesus? And so whatever you've been through, whatever you've faced, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're carrying, don't you think the Spirit of God is saying they can't, they can't stop me in your life? They can't hold what I want to do in your, down in your life? They can't change what I want to change in your life? God's for you. God's for you. God loves you. Not only does God love you, listen to me, God likes you. He likes you. He likes who he created. He likes the plan he has for you. He likes the way you look. He likes the way you smell. He likes your, your attributes. He likes your characteristics. He just likes you. He likes you. He died for you. He wants to change you if you would give him access. And so maybe you're here today in Montgomeryville and here and you would say, you know what? I, I, I'm tired. I've tried to do it on my own. But today, the Bible says, if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that I would give him access into my life, that he would save me, that he would heal me, that he would begin to use me. So I believe there's people in this room that you're, you're here and you know this message is for you. And there's nothing else that you can do except simply say, you know what? I'm going to let go of what I've been through, and I'm going to turn my life to Christ. I'm going to let go, I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to turn my life to Christ. I'm going to go in the opposite direction of where I've been going. I want to pray with you as we close. If that's, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, if you know the message was for you today, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you've been through some things that have really identified you and you're tired of allowing them to identify and define you and you want to step into a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ I want to pray with you as we close I'm going to ask you to do one thing before we leave if that's you if you're here you're in Montgomeryville and you would say you're, you're, you're talking to me you've been it's been like you've been talking to me this whole time and the spirit of God is here and I can feel him knocking at the door of my heart and I need him I want him, I want him, I want him to have my, my whole life, everything that I am, I want to give it to him right now. If that's you all over this place, I want to pray with you as we close. And I want you to do one thing, in courage and in confidence, because those two words are important. We often don't move because we lack confidence and courage.
So encourage and in confidence, confidence in the spirit of God, his love, his plans, his purposes, and understanding that nothing good happens in our life when we live in comfort. So the opposite of comfort is courage, courage and confidence. If that's you all over this place, if you're in Montgomeryville and you would say, that's me, I want to pray with you. Would you just simply place your hand straight in the air and say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. You're speaking to me right now. There's a hand, there's a hand, there's a hand, there's a hand, there's a hand. Yes. Is anybody on my right who would say, hey, pastor, that's me. That's me. There's another hand. every head bowed and every eye closed would you just begin to pray all over this place maybe you didn't put your hand up and you say but that that's me that's me and would you just begin to invite the spirit of god into your life in your own way prayer is just like talking to a friend it's nothing religious nothing elaborate there's no words you're supposed to say the bible says god knows you like a friend he stays closer than you to you than a brother the bible says and he's here so you just begin to invite him. I'm going to pray. You pray with me. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day. And we thank you for those in Montgomeryville and here in Phoenixville that are responding to your gospel. And Lord, with their hands held high, uh, that's a universal sign of surrender. That's what that is. And Lord, we surrender our life. The Bible says when we surrender our life to you, you're able to work. When we humble ourselves, you're able to lift us up. And so, Lord, what we're saying is we don't want to be the boss. We don't want to be in control. We don't want to be our own Lord. We don't want to try to work through these situations, these difficulties in our lives. We've tried and we failed. So we're going to lean into the, the, the loving, grace-filled, hope-filled, forgiving God, Lord. The one who came to us. That's what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. You didn't stay far. You didn't tell us to come find you. You came after us. The Bible says you seek and you save the lost. And so in this moment, those who felt hopeless, those who felt lost, those who felt broken, those who felt abused and neglected and abandoned, you're, Lord, you're filling them up with an unshakable, never-ending, never-giving-up love. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for how you're changing us. We thank you, Lord, for how you help us to walk through these situations and not only walk through them, but you help us to find purpose so that we can bring glory and honor to your name. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this day and your name that we pray. One more time. Let's shout amen together all over this house. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.